Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. And all the time, amen. So if you've got your Bible today, I would love for you to grab your Bible and go to Luke chapter 19, verse 41. We're going to open God's Word, and we're going to hear what Jesus is teaching us today. The title of today's sermon is Jesus Tough and Tender. Jesus Tough and Tender. Now if you would, I don't know that we've stood today, have we? Let's stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. It'll be on the screen. You can, in this day and time, you can open your Bible, you can turn on your Bible, or you can grab a black uh, Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that one as our gift to you. Use it. Still in 1 Peter. I'll get there. Verse 41 says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, If it's writ- it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do For all the the people were hanging on His words. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would You help us to be like these people in the Scripture who are hanging on Your every word. We believe that that what we're about to do is Your holy word. That every bit of it is God-breathed. That all of it is inspired. That it is profitable for us. That it is like a a double-edged sword that cuts and wounds and heals and delivers. We believe that Your Word today is good for us. Now grant us Your Holy Spirit that we might love You, we might hear from You, put a hunger in us, and satisfy that hunger today in this service. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Please be seated. So Jesus, tough and tender... Jesus, tough and tender. I've had a few people hear my sermon title and laugh at me. But it's, it's I think, appropriate for today. Jesus is tough and He's tender. We're, uh, last week we started a new little series 
about the experiencing the real Jesus. That sometimes we have a Jesus portrayed or pictured in our mind, but then when we read the Scripture, we find that the Jesus of our mind is nothing like the Jesus of the Scriptures. And so today, we want to see and savor who Jesus is. We want to see Him, not as we make Him, but as He is. We want to see Him. We want to behold Him. And we want to love Him more than we could ever imagine to love Him. That's my prayer for you. Tough and tender. Now, that sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? Tough and tender. Now, if, if I served you a steak at my house and I said, this is a steak, it's a filet mignon, and it's tough and tender, you'd go, I'm good. I just like taters, you know? Tough and tender. It doesn't make sense. But I want you to understand that with Jesus, there's no contradiction. There is no paradox. And in, in these two passages that a lot of times we separate, what we see is two parts of His nature. Jesus has a multifaceted, infinite nature. And for us to ever think that we've grasped all of His nature is, might be a little pride in us. And so in this passage, we see two sides of Him. He's tough. In one instance, He's tender. Now, all of us, we have the tendency to be either tough or tender, right? Some of you are very tender-hearted. You'll cry with people. If somebody else starts, you're starting. Can I get an amen? Some of you are tough and you need a little of that tenderness in your life. But we have tendencies on either side, one side or the other. Some to be tough only and others of us are tender only and we don't, we're not able. Each of us will either lack compassion maybe to some extent in our life or, or lack courage, both of which are sinful. And if you lack compassion or courage, we, here's what we can't do. We can't blame it on personality. Well, it's just who I am. I'm only tough or I'm only tender. God made me this way. God also saved you from sin. And so just because we have the tendency to be only tough or the tendency to be only tender, we, we can't sit back and go, that's just who I am, like it or leave it. What we have to understand is that all of us are not perfectly tough and perfectly tender like Jesus was. Each of us are works in progress. Can I get a witness? Each of us, hopefully, if you're a Christian, it can be said of you that Philippians 1.6, the same one who began a good work, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? He hadn't given up on you. Isn't that good news? And so, I just want you to know that if you lean toward one way or the other, Jesus wants to change you and to make you like Him. Parents have a way of being tough and tender. I'll tell you who's tough and who's tender, right? In our, in our relationship. And we have that tendency, but we can't be only tough. And I'm learning that as a dad. You can't only be a tough dad. And tough love isn't all that a child needs. We can't only be tender and always say yes. We can't be tough only and always say no. As a parent, it's a constant tension. Where are my, my parents with young children? Do you feel that tension? You feel that tension every day of when do I say yes? When do I say no? What hills do I die on? Grandparents, I've heard that you have it really easy. You just get to say yes to about everything. Because you get to send them home in a few days. And who cares what the parents have to deal with? Thanks. We love you anyways. All right. So 
you know, it's, it's just one of those things. How much am I tough? How much am I tender? What's, what's the percentage split? I just want to know what the percentage is, and I'm going to try to meet it. But Jesus here is He's tough and He's tender. He's not either or, but He is perfectly both and. And He does it and never ignores a single part of His character. What do I mean by that? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus can look at Peter when he just confesses him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. And then a few verses later, he can look at him and say, Get behind me, Satan. Now, if I called you Satan, I'd probably lose my job real fast. But Jesus had the ability to be tender and tough at the same time in just a short passage. Jesus has the ability to look at a Syrophoenician lady and compare her to a dog, and then heal her daughter because of her great faith. All in one passage. He's tough and he's tender. Jesus has the ability to rebuke the Pharisees and to not condemn the woman caught in the very act of adultery. He's tough and he's tender. And people will say, was he too tough? No. Was he too tender? No. Not our Jesus. In his infinite wisdom and being complete in nature, he lacks nothing in toughness or tenderness. Listen to me. Unlike you and me, Jesus never loses it and blows his top in anger. Isn't that good news? Nor does He enable the sinner to sin more because of His tenderness or weakness? See, Jesus knows how to be entirely tough and entirely tender in every moment of our life. And it's His toughness and tenderness that I want to contend with you today that lead us to repentance and faith and further love for Him. In our Scriptures, I want you to see both sides of Him and His nature And I hope that we experience today the real Jesus, His toughness and His tenderness, and that, man, we just fall in love with Him like never before. Okay, so let's walk through the passage. Let's look at verse 41. The first thing I want you to see is Jesus is tender. He's tender. Look at verse 41. Follow along in your Bible or on the screens. Verse 41, it says, When He drew near and He saw the city, He wept over it. He wept over it. Now here's what's happening. Last week we looked at the triumphal entry where Jesus mounts a, a foal of a donkey and the coming king, the one true king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the king who can satisfy all of our needs, the king comes in to Jerusalem. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to walk the last two miles. I'm going to ride in as my triumphal procession. The king is coming. And he, he comes and as he, he kind of crest the top of the hill, what he sees is he he sees the expanse of Jerusalem lying before him, the Temple Mount. You can see so clearly from the Mount of Olives. And what does Jesus do? Does he stand back and say, ah, the beautiful city. Oh man, I can't believe it. They're going to love me. What does he do? He weeps over it. He weeps over it. Can you just imagine How awkward that must have felt as Jesus is riding in on his triumphal entry. Everybody's shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he, blessed is the king who's coming in the name of the Lord. And Jesus pauses and goes and just begins to break down in tears. Can you imagine his disciples going, we didn't see that coming. 
They didn't. They had no idea, but Jesus sees the city and he weeps over it. And this is what he says in verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Do you remember what we talked about? The coming king is bringing a reign of peace. The king is coming into Jerusalem as the prince of peace. He's coming to institute an eternal covenant of peace with all who would confess Him and call on Him. He's coming to bring peace to those who would trust Him. And they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. And Jesus weeps over the city and He says, would that you, even you, would have known the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. In other words, what he's saying is, he is he's looking over Jerusalem and he is foreseeing his rejection. How Jerusalem, or the Jews in general, would reject that he is the Messiah, in fact. He is the king, in fact. They would reject his lordship and his leadership. They would reject that Jesus is the son of David. That he is the son of man, as it says in Daniel chapter 9, that He is the one whose throne would be forever. They are rejecting the fact, and Jesus doesn't get angry about it, but rather He weeps over it because Jesus is tender. I want you to know in your tenderness, or in His tenderness, that Jesus, He does not begrudge you when you come to Him with your sins. On the contrary, The tenderness of our Savior Jesus is drawn to you when you come to Him with your sins in hand, with repentance in your heart. He is drawn to you. How many of you have ever said something, I know I'm driving Jesus crazy with all of my needs. And let me tell you, you can't drive Jesus crazy with your needs because His tenderness is drawn to the needy. He did not come for those who have it all together. What's Jesus say? I didn't come to call on those who are righteous. I came for those who know they're sick. And I love it that Jesus is drawn, in His tenderness, He is drawn to the needy, the sick, those who call out upon Him. He is drawn to that, and I find incredible comfort in that thought. Don't you? He is tender in our life. How is He tender in our life? Well, in my life, if I just remember my story, I remember the days before I even knew Jesus, when Jesus was wooing me. He's wooing me. I know that's a weird word. We don't use that word anymore. But He's speaking tenderly to me. He's calling me. He is loving me from a distance before I let Him in. He is wooing me. I remember the days when I went to church even though I didn't know I needed to go to church. I remember the days where I would sit and listen to somebody talk about Jesus and I didn't even want to know about Jesus yet. He was wooing me. He called me. And He drew me to Himself. The Bible says in John chapter 6 that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father who calls Him draws Him. Or the Father who sent Him draws Him. And so I need you to know today that before you and I came to Jesus, guess what Jesus did? He drew us in. Come on in. Come on in. He woos us. He calls us by name. He draws us to Himself. He gives us repentance and He gives us faith. He does. 
He gives us repentance and faith. Not only that, after He gives us repentance and faith, guess what Jesus does? He forgives us. Can you imagine the glorious thought that Jesus has the the authority in heaven and on earth to forgive us of all of our sin? No matter how grave or grievous our sin seems, no matter how rebellious our rebellion was, how far we ran away, Jesus has the authority to forgive our sin. What a glorious thought of His tenderness. When I deserve something far worse, Jesus in His tenderness forgave me instead of giving me what I deserved. Amen? After He forgives us, He adopts us into His family. We're made children of God. We're all, in, in, in Galatians, it says that we are all made sons of God. Why are we all made sons of God? Even you daughters of God are made sons of God. Why? Because only sons got an inheritance. And Jesus wanted to include all of His children in the inheritance of the Father. And so He made all of us heirs of all the glorious inheritance of God in the heavenly places. What tenderness that He shows us. He provides for us. Can anybody testify and give a witness that there was a day where you didn't know how you were going to make it, but somehow you made it through? That God has provided for your needs? Has God provided for your needs over and above what you deserve? He provides for us. Not only does He provide for us, but He satisfies the longing of our souls, the deepest desires of our very heart. He satisfies He is the only one that will satisfy. In John chapter 4 and John chapter 7, Jesus reveals Himself as the living water. And He says in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And He will never be thirsty again. In fact, in His soul, I will put a spring of living water. He will satisfy you and Me with living water and with the bread of life. He satisfies our needs. And guess what? Even those of us in this room who might reject Him today, in His tenderness, He will weep over you. Some of of you have rejected Him. Okay, Jesus, I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want you to be my Lord either. You have rejected Him. And if you've rejected Him in His tenderness, He is weeping for you today. The tears that He shed on uh, the Mount of Olives, He has shed for you today. He is tender. And, and, And here's the most wonderful thought, that Jesus does all of these things despite our sinful condition. Do you know how much of that I deserve? None of it. And Jesus does all of that. He shows all of His tenderness to us despite my sinful nature. He is tender. He's also tough. I want you to see this in verse 43. Jesus is tough and He is tender. I want you to go to my next point there, Mr. James. Verse 43, there you go. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What is Jesus foreseeing down the road? 
What's he looking at? What, what day? What uh, circumstance? What event? The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. He says, listen, listen to what he says. Very clear. Your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but in April of 70 A.D., three days before the Passover, um, the soon-to-be emperor Titus, Titus has the entire army of Rome in Israel. And he brings Rome's army to Jerusalem, and he lets all of Israel, every Jew who comes to the Passover meal, he lets them into the walls of Jerusalem, and then he shuts the gates around them. Did you know this? When he shuts the gates around them, he begins to starve them, to siege their city. And then to kill them. The, the siege of Jerusalem lasted from April to September. There were over a million Jews in the walls of Jerusalem at this time period. Titus sends the historian Josephus into Jerusalem to make a deal with them. You serve Rome, we'll let you go. You don't serve Rome, you're all going to die. It did not go well. They did not make a barter. They did not come to an agreement. And so this is what history teaches us. That Titus, in anger, he goes and he cuts down every tree within a 13-mile radius around Jerusalem. And he builds barricades against Jerusalem. And there are the Jews on the inside who are fighting against the Romans on the outside. And so they build these siege works against Jerusalem. And over that period of time, over one million Jews died from starvation or disease or being massacred by Rome. They burned the city. And when the city was set on fire, the temple was set on fire. There is gold in the temple in Jerusalem. There was gold in the temple in Jerusalem. And that gold was heated to such a degree that it began to melt. And it seeped down the walls into the stones on the floor. And guess what the Romans did after everybody was gone? They took up stone by stone. Why? Because there was gold in the floor. And so all of this that Jesus is foreseeing down the road, their rejection and the Roman uh, siege of Jerusalem, He's foreseeing it. And all of this prophecy is going to be fulfilled in just a few years, 40-so years after Jesus is gone. Jesus says to them, listen, your rejection of Me will bring about this consequence on you. Your rejection of me. Now, I know that that is a serious moment in Israel's history. But I want to, to, to just say there is a spiritual picture for you and for me of the toughness of Jesus when we reject the offer of His tenderness, the offer of His grace, the offer of His mercy. There is going to be a spiritual destruction in your life like the physical destruction in Jerusalem. 
There will be a spiritual tearing down in your soul like there was a physical tearing down in Jerusalem. Let me tell you that the rejection of the gospel cannot go without consequence. A rejection of God's goodness and His mercy and His grace and Jesus' tenderness cannot go without consequence. He is tough. And then He comes into the temple. The first place that Jesus goes from the triumphal entry is not into the Pilate's Praetorium, not into uh, Antonia Fortress there in Jerusalem, he doesn't go to a political or a military zone. Where does he go? He goes to the temple. Why? Because Jesus is out to reveal something to you and to me. He's out to reveal that the biggest problem with, with Israel in that day was not a, a political force or a military force or an, a physical enemy. The biggest problem that the Jews had and that you and I have in our lives is not outside circumstances. The biggest problem that we have is a worship problem. Our greatest problem is a heart problem. Jesus goes to the very heart of Israel, the very heart of Jerusalem, the temple, and He begins to overturn tables in the temple. Can you just imagine this? He's turning over tables in the temple. He's kicking people out. He's driving people away. Why? Because He came to reveal that you and I have a heart problem. Jesus is tender. Jesus is tough. And He knows when to be each one of those things. How is Jesus tough in our lives? I think we have these on the screen. How is Jesus tough? Four things. Number one, Jesus always speaks truth. He speaks truth. Have you ever noticed how Jesus doesn't mince His words? He doesn't mince His words. He doesn't hold back. Jesus throws all the proverbial punches, doesn't He, when He's talking to people? He never pulls His punches. Jesus, in some of His teaching, you're like, wow, that is tough. Like what, Ryan? Well, Jesus says things like, if, if you want to come after Me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He says to Peter, after the resurrection, he, he informs Peter that John's going to get really old. And he says, well, what about me? And he says, people one day are going to carry you because you can't walk there. He lets them know that he's going to be killed. Jesus calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. That is not a new pickup line in our day. That was not a, a polite invitation to let's have a good conversation. That was a challenge. He speaks truth. And let me tell you something, church family. If we want to be like Jesus in our day, we've got to know when to be tender and we've got to know when to be tough. And I want to just remind you that we must always speak truth in love. Always. We live in a world that, that's never been more important that we must speak the truth with tenderness. We must speak the truth. The Bible does not change. God's Word is unfailing. And we will be held accountable for what we do with every single word of it. And like never before, God's church must rise up and speak truth to people dying and heading to hell. We must speak truth 
but we must do it in love. Not to make enemies, but to win people. Number two, the way Jesus is tough, He demands perfection for personal righteousness. He demands perfection by demanding perfection. In other words, Jesus even says, if you want to get into heaven, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. You've got to be more righteous than they are. If you want to get into heaven, just be perfect like God's perfect. Just be holy like He's holy. If you want to merit your way in and get in on your own, He demands perfection of you. And that is tough. You want to know what that means for you and me? None of us can, none of us can do it. None of us can meet the standard. None of us can earn righteousness. None of us will stand before God and say, because of all of the things I do, you should let me in. He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. If we want to get into heaven, it's only based on one thing, one work. And that's not our work, but Christ's work. That's what Christ has done, not what I can do. If you want to get into heaven, stop saying it's because I'm a good church member, or I go to church, or I read my Bible, or I give. It's because of what Jesus has done. Amen. He demands perfection, and that is tough. Number three, he applies discipline for the believer. Applying discipline. He's tough. He loves you enough. If you are a Christian in this room, he will not let you go undisciplined like some parents will let their one-year-old toddler go undisciplined in the checkout aisle of Walmart. You've seen it. And if you are not experiencing the discipline of God where he convicts you of your sin and leads you back into the family, let me tell you something, you're not a part of the family. God will discipline those that belong to Him. If you're not being disciplined, there is a statement that you don't belong to Him. You're illegitimate children, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Disciplining, applying discipline to the believer. And fourth, the fourth way he's tough is he brings judgment for the unbeliever. He brings judgment for the unbeliever. Just like he said to Israel, to the Jews, he said, there's going to come a day because of your rejection that this is going to happen. He's looking at you and me today, and He says, if you reject my work, if you reject my gospel, if you, if you ignore my goodness, if you spurn my grace, if you turn your back on my mercy, there will come a day for you that's way worse than what Jerusalem has experienced. Their siege lasted five months. Your siege will last for an eternity. He is tender, and He is tough. So that leads us to the question, as we close today, what should be my response? What should my response be? If Jesus knows when to be tender, if He knows when to be tough, what should my response be? The first thing is fear. The first thing is fear. Fear? Well, that doesn't sound right, preacher. Fear? Now, how many of you have ever read the Proverbs? or the Psalms, and it says over and over and over that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is that fear? What does he mean? Well, some would say it's terror. you got to literally be afraid of God. Others would say it means only to honor or revere. And some ignore the whole idea completely, saying, well, a loving God wouldn't want me to fear Him, Right? 
And I just want to say to you, if you're the third party that says, well, a loving God wouldn't, I want you to understand that over 27 times in the Bible, it uses the exact phrase, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And in many, many other times, it talks about the fear of God. Fear of God. Now, what does that fear mean? I think it doesn't mean either or, but it means both and. And here's what I mean by that. Every person who came in contact with with the living God fell down on their faces in what? That's one of the reasons I'm skeptical about some of the books that are written about heaven and people coming in contact with Jesus is there's never a holiness and a reverence and a fear in any of these books. There's never a falling down, prostrate before the Lord, crying out for mercy. There's never that. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying be wary of what you read. But everyone who came in contact with him fell down. Even John, it says in the book of Revelation, he fell down on his face as though dead. There is a divine terror when I am on the wrong side of God's divine judgment. And listen, if you don't fear, if you have never feared the Lord or His judgment, you have never probably been motivated to trust in the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is a level of fear that when I understand that I have sinned against a holy God and deserve judgment for all eternity, there is a fear that should come, a good fear of God. He is holy, He is righteous, He is perfect, and you and I have spurned and rebelled against Him, and that is not good news. It should bring us to fear. It should bring us to a divine terror, a holy terror. It should also bring us to a reverence and an honor. When? When? After I have accepted the tenderness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, after His wrath has been appeased for me because God aimed His wrath at the Son Jesus for my sin. When? After trusting Jesus... I should have a different kind of fear. Why? Because now I'm on the right side of divine judgment. But that kind of fear should be honor and reverence and awe of God. Let me tell you something, church family. We have lost our honor, our reverence, and our fear of the Lord. We have lost our awe for a holy God. He is a friend and He is a friend, but He's not just your friend. He's not your bro. He's not your dude. He's not your pal. He is holy. And we have lost that inside the church. And so we're raising a group of people who have no fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The second thing it should bring to you is repentance. Repentance. I want you to look on the screen with me in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says this, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why has God been merciful to you and to me? 
Why has God offered grace to you and to me? So that we might be led to repentance. Repentance. This one is not on the screen, but in in Romans chapter 11 it says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. He's both and, but in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it teaches us that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. Don't presume on the kindness of God that God's just going to be merciful and gracious and forgive you because He's loving and kind. No, it's supposed to lead you to repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that changes our action. It's a change of mind where I turn from sin and I turn to Christ. It's where I let go of my old ways and grab onto my new ways. It's when I uh, uh, stop trusting in all of my good deeds and I start trusting in only what Christ can do. The, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It goes on to say, but because of your hard and impenitent, impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. His kindness should lead us to fear. His kindness should lead us to repentance. His toughness and His tenderness should lead us to love. To love. Now let me just, if, if you don't move on from fear to repentance, you don't have a proper fear. If you don't move from repentance to love, it's not true repentance. The Bible does not say uh, what, is, what are the most two, or what's the most important commandment? Repent with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. What does it say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. If the toughness and tenderness of Jesus don't lead you to fear, and that fear doesn't lead you to repentance, and that repentance doesn't lead you to, uh, to loving Him, then we have missed the boat of the toughness and tenderness of Jesus. And there are people in this room, maybe, who are afraid of God, but they don't love Him. And if that's you, you don't know my Jesus. And there are some of you that love Him, but you don't fear Him, and you've not repented of your sin, and you don't know my Jesus. He was tough and tender. He knew when to shed tears for those who would reject Him. And He knew when to prophesy destruction for those who would reject Him. He's tough and tender. Today, I I just want to encourage you, as we leave this place today, we need to know when to be tough. We need to know when to be tender. We, we, we don't know who really needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ around us. There's a world in need of a Savior, and God has equipped us and given us the responsibility to go and make disciples of all nations. And He wants you to be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus, ambassadors of Christ, as if God's making His appeal through you. So as we leave, I want you to consider, have I trusted Christ? Have I understood His toughness and His tenderness? Has it led me to fear and repentance and a deep, deep love for Him? If not, I would love to walk through that with you. Maybe grab you a cup of coffee with you one day and talk about that. 
And if you have no idea who Jesus is and you don't know if you're on the right side of God's divine judgment or the wrong side of God's divine judgment, I would encourage you, don't let that unknown linger. Deal with it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the bread of your body broken for us, the blood of your covenant poured out for us that we might have salvation. Thank you for your tenderness, O Lord, and how you're even today wooing us with your goodness. Thank you for your toughness, teaching us to fear you. Father, move us from where we are to where you want us to be. Move us from this place of half-hearted devotion to a down the road, from one degree of glory to another. Extend our devotion. Grow our affection for you. Help us to love you more. Teach us to honor you. Teach us to revere you. Teach us to be in awe of the one true living God. And help us by your grace to fall in love with Jesus. None of us are there. But move us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song that we already have sung today so far. I want you to stand with us. And we're going to sing. If you'd like to respond, you can. But this is just a song.